When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to In Defense of Ska. We aim to push back on the mainstream's negative perception of the music. Ska deserves the respect genres like punk, hip-hop, and hardcore find among their listeners. And in the case of this episode, soundtrack music. Our host is renowned music journalist and author of the book In Defense of Ska, Aaron Carnes. Today we discuss the TV show Craig of the Creek, a children's cartoon that's composed by Jeff Rosenstock and filled with ska punk. The show premiered on Cartoon Network in March 2018. It's about a boy named Craig Williams. He and his friends have adventures in the nearby creek and their imaginations run wild. While the show is intended for kids, there is a deepness in how the characters' stories are treated that has drawn in adult audiences as well. The show is canceled midway through production of its fifth season. On January 14th, they released the prequel movie on Max. It's called Craig Before the Creek. To discuss the show and the role that the ska punk soundtrack plays, we bring on Jeff Rosenstock and show co-creator Ben Levin. And now joining me is my co-host, veteran ska musician Adam Davis of Omnigon and Link 80. I don't really watch cartoons myself. Like, you know how a lot of adults watch cartoons? Yeah, yeah. I can't really get into them, but my kids watch cartoons. Craig of the Creek was one they had on that I, I liked. And then I kept hearing this familiar voice in it mm-hmm. and uh, I looked it up and it was Jeff. Oh yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize it was Jeff Rosenstock. Yeah. The music really good on that show. The music really sticks out. Like there's episodes where they're playing music in the episode and, you know, I didn't realize it was Jeff at first or, or you know, punk stuff like actual punks and and then you know come to find out it is yeah so like a lot of cartoons for the past few decades have used ska but they kind of use it in this very superficial way where it's like oh okay we're going to show silliness and like the the craziness of youth so throw in some ska but what i love i love about craig of the creek is that it uses ska in a way where it shows the depth of emotion and the dynamics of the music in a much deeper way. You know, I think that's awesome. You know, Craig of the Creek shows that ska is a nuanced genre. It can stay true to the music and it can build dynamic emotional arcs. So you, you sent me the soundtrack and for the for the Craig before the creek and it has the the, the, the songs and all the all the music for the film. And uh, I listened to it all f- before watching the movie. Oh, crazy. It was weird. To watch it, because it's all it all fits so nicely. But you hear all these music, all these songs, like out of context. First, it's kind of an odd experience, a little bit. But um, yeah, <laughs> cool. I'm, just, I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> That's a good. One. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think generally movie soundtracks, you watch the movie first. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Are you saying the soundtrack's bad, Aaron? <laughs> it's <a> great soundtrack. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> 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 <It's> jarring. <laughs> 
But there's like parts in the soundtrack where it's like very rhythmic with the action in the movie. Like, did you guys coordinate that very specifically or? Yeah. I mean, it's not like, it's not like coordinated specifically, but the music is, is written to the picture. Um, so I think from, from talking to uh, our mutual friend, uh, Jeff, Jeff Trammell, who is, we're, actually, no, that's not, no, I read an interview with Mark Mothersbaugh actually about, scoring um one of those thor movies uh and how marvel was initially like yeah just give us five pieces of music that are x amount long and we'll figure it out um (laughs) and i think some stuff is done that way but his reaction to it was no i'm just gonna watch the movie and write the music alongside it and score to it and that's that's how we do it on craig also like i watch it we talk me and ben talk to each other uh, I give it the old college try. Me and Ben talk to each other again. Hopefully, <laughs> the new version it achieves all, and then you know, and then with this, then usually, then it's done for the show. But then with this, it's like okay, now let's have a giant group of people record it. So, why is Scott Punk the perfect music for uh, racing through the creek on a bicycle? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I mean. I think um God. I think that like ska ska punk uh especially what Jeff does the energy is really can be really wild and um yeah really I think captures uh just that like kid wildness uh and just rough around the edges feeling yeah um but I also feel like I feel like there's some deeper connections to Craig as well, or at least like how I, yeah, like how I viewed Ska as a kid and how Craig views being a kid. I want to come back to the soundtrack, but I think first our audience is probably very well familiar with uh, Jeff's Ska history, but um, we should get into Ben's Ska history first before we dive into this interview. (laughs) So uh, we're going to go through your Ska resume. Yeah, sure. Ben's got a solid scar resume. I, I have I have some pretty uh, thorough notes here. Oh, Aaron's done his research. Oh shit! Okay, watch out, Ben. You've been researched. You've been researched. <laughs> <laughs> so you you grew up in uh, uh, Olney, Maryland. Is that am I pronouncing it correctly? Yes, yes. Okay, so you got into the ska scene in that in Maryland and Washington D.C. in the late eight and late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Do you remember your sort of like first show or what kind of got drew you into the scene? Yeah, I mean, I had I, I do remember I remember like coming into contact with Scott like a few times before I really dove into it, but I didn't really know how to find it uh or like kind of access it. I feel like there's a thing when uh I have a younger sister, I'm the oldest. Sometimes when you have an elder sibling, they can help you get into music, but I didn't know. <laughs> like how you mm-hmm. find music. Um, so I had like heard like less than Jake on a, this is a very strange thing. I used to do aggressive inline skating, which is another nineties thing. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a magazine <laughs> called inline skater and they had a compilation they sent out and less than Jake was on that. And I like, I just like listened to the CD and I wrote like little uh, smiley faces or frowny faces, whether I liked the tracks and I wrote like a smiley face next to less than Jake. But then I was just like, I don't, I've never heard of this band outside of this CD. I don't know where you find this. I'm sure you'd have to go to some small record store in New York. I don't know. And so I didn't really look into it. And then when, you know, 
um then of course when like ska uh kind of hit on mtv and on the radio i uh you know i kind of discovered <laughs> it was accessible there was places to buy it and um my first show was the ska against racism tour at the 930 oh. club um and that like that it blew me away um i remember that was like my first show like kind of my first show show um before that i had seen um 311 in kind of a i don't know not an amphitheater but something like that and i was like way in the back and um you know i was a little like distant from it and then when i went to the 930 club for the sky against racism tour i was up in with all these people and when Kamuri started playing it like blew my eardrums out and i was like i had never experienced my body had never experienced a sound that loud <laughs> before and i just got like pushed back with the crowd and i remember seeing like just seeing someone skanking and i was like i think i can do that and i started doing that and yeah that was kind of <laughs> that was how I, <laughs> I feel like i got into it nice all right, so let's let's go through your resume. <laughs> you were in a you were in a ska band, Konami yes. Code, the Konami, Konami Code. Code, Konami Code. Okay, what did you what did you do in the band? I played I played bass in the Konami Code. Um, yeah, I feel like it was the natural evolution of uh, hanging out around the uh, kind of Maryland, DC, Virginia ska scene. Um, I had a friend who. Uh, I think before I had a friend who played guitar and I was like, Ooh, if I, um, if I play bass, maybe I can play in a band with him. And so I got a bass, but then it was too late. He already found someone to play bass. So I just had a bass. <laughs> and then I started like taking lessons and practicing like suicide machines, riffs and stuff. And, um, yeah, me and my friends, the other ska punk kids at my school started a band called the Konami code based off the Konami code. <laughs> What was your best show? Oh, my best show? Mm, I think that uh, it might have been our last show that was the best, where we played in a very... We didn't play that much. Um, we, you know, uh, kind of started at the end of high school and then um, played a little bit after we went off to college. Um, we played our last show in this library, this small library. And, um, the, uh, we were, they were very nice to let us use the space, but the librarian person running it asked us not to curse. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, we were like, well, you know, our singer was like, this is our last show. Um, <laughs> he kind of didn't care about that. So we kept, you know, dropping curse words. <laughs> You're teenagers too, at this point. Uh, we were, we were in college then. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So we kind of like, we were, we did a cover of, uh, cheat to win. And, um, yeah, there's, there's some F bombs in that they got mad at us. You, but, you could say them here. It's okay. You can say them on the show. <laughs> um, you know, I'm coming from children's television. So I'm trying All to right. be. Oh yeah. Do we have to keep this one clean? <laughs> no. Ah, oh, shucks. <laughs> That was that was that was fun. A lot of people showed up and even though it was like chaotic, we really put our all into that. Um I think the highlight though of being in the band was getting mentioned in Nintendo Power. Uh, 
wow. there's just like a small little blurb that just said like it was about the Konami code, which is the code you put in, in Nintendo games to get like infinite lives and Contra. And um, they said it's also a ska punk band from Aldi, Maryland. And I was like, ah, we did that's it. Awesome. How did they find out? I don't know. I mean, we had a website, I guess. They, I don't know. Maybe they Googled it or not Googled. Uh, Alta Vista did it. Something. <laughs> <laughs> weirdly, the um, weirdly, the um, I, I accidentally let the domain name lapse. I mean, I guess we weren't doing anything with it after we broke up. And another ska punk band t- took it. <laughs> like, There's another Konami code, I think, from Florida that like is also ska. And I think took that website or something like that. Wow. Well, you know, keep it going. Keep it <laughs> yeah. going. Maybe another ska punk band has it now that isn't either of your two bands. There must be there must be something inherently uh I don't know, that draws ska kids to that. I don't know. To the Konami Code Nintendo references. Sure. There are a lot of Konami Code references in like emo at that time. I feel like too. Like the Ataris had a Konami oh, yeah. Code reference. There was some band we played with that had lyrics that was up, up, down, down, left, right, be a star. I remember that <laughs> and being like, oh. <laughs> I think we almost did. We almost play with Arrogant Sons of Bitches. I think I have a story where we emailed you once, like my guitar player. <laughs> or something uh maybe i wouldn't have gotten that email i wasn't the booking person in asb what in were we like trying to play a show in maryland and then it didn't work out kind of thing i i don't know i don't know i wasn't the booking person either i just think <laughs> i remember like looking back and you're like shit should have done that yeah that would have been fun that would have been cool i mean we had uh the you emailed me um when when bomb had played at uh c lab 187 in brooklyn in the backyard and we had met and we had talked about a video um, possibly for bike test and then it yeah. fizzled out. Um, and I like came across that email when I was like trying to find emails from you about the show. And I was like, oh, shit, I didn't write back to this. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I still can't decide if that's good or bad that I didn't write back to it. Like maybe if maybe if we had known each other, you would have been like, fuck this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so are we going to do it or uh, should we still look into that? Yeah, let's go. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you, you got time <laughs> on your hands. Yeah. There's never been a better time to put out a song from uh, the 2007 record, Get Warmer, put out a new video. Sure. I think the fans want it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's what the fans want. <laughs> All right. So the the scene at the time, a lot of the scene was at the corner kick. Yes. Yeah. Can you explain what the corner kick was? Yeah. The corner. Wow. Um. Yeah. The corner kick was like this indoor soccer uh, place um and in it was in gaithersburg or germantown maryland um yeah that was like the center of uh, my local scene um before i got on there like a few years before they they had bands who actually like played on the field of it um hmm. and then a little after i don't know if they got in trouble for certain things or it got too wild or just the shows got a little smaller but they moved it up to the bar upstairs there was kind of like a pub situation um upstairs that they would set up a little stage in and that was where like yeah we would go like for at least like once a month you know go see shows there um it was a yeah it was a really uh, seeing shows at the corner kick was like a really important part of 
I just feel like my youth and like kind of uh, uh, learning about DIY culture. Because um, like I got into ska and um, I mean, you know, it was it was fun and um, just like just such a like so much energy at the shows. And then, you know, you sort of delve further in past, um, you know, some of the like, well, I guess the Boston's were political, but like through ska and like getting into punk through that way. You sort of, I sort of gotten to the like DIY politics of the scene. And um, there was this really great couple, Dan Hess and Michelle Chin, who would set up shows um, and also ran this website, dcska.com. Um, they would set up shows called in like Rudin DC Productions. They would set them up at the corner kick and they were like the hub of the scene. Like they would, if you wanted to get a shirt made for your band, they had a silk screening set up. Um, they could help put you on a show. And there was like one guy that we all knew that we recorded in his mom's basement. Um, but like seeing them like put on these shows and like being able to play a show and seeing just like other people my age like doing this like was really, I think, formative in just like taking kind of control in your own art and trying to go out and make something and not like waiting for permission. I feel like I really credit a lot of that to that scene that I was exposed to there. So we're talking like early 2000s primarily, right? Like what what were the main bands of that scene? Uh yeah, I mean I came in around I mean I maybe came in around 97, 98 and then was yeah, into the 2000s. Um I mean the biggest hometown hero was the Pie Tasters and mm-hmm. that was always like a, you know, tremendous show. Um I feel like the the band there was a band um Eastern Standard Time that was also like really solid and um the band that would always play at those corner kick shows um that dan hess um was lead singer of was the ratchet boys and formerly known as the skanker sores and uh (laughs) they would (laughs) they were like really like like kind of like a a crucial part of that scene like if a bunch of like local like really small high school bands like mine were playing then they would headline and everyone would love their songs and they would throw donuts out into the crowd and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> were they more in the vein of Scott Punk? Uh they were I would say they were kind of like in that um like leaning more towards like the two tone inspired um stuff. It was a little more it didn't have as much of the punk in there. Um but like it had that it I don't they weren't like trying to be um, like aesthetically, like stuck in that era or anything like that. They were um, uh, just a you know they were just a super fun band. But they would mostly play like kind of like some instrumental ska numbers, and then um, later on they mixed in I feel like some kind of mod elements to their sound. Was that a common element for the scene? Um, this the sort of DC scene, you know, especially with your big names being Pie Tasters and Eastern Standard Time. Um. Well, you know, I think that the scene that I was involved in, there was, uh, I mean, there were a lot of ska punk bands. I feel like it came a little later that were around with uh, when I when Konami Code was playing, um, like this band Plan Nine, and um, the Max Levine Ensemble didn't have weren't a ska band, but they had a I think they had a ska song or two that was in. They were a punk band though. Poop Farm is Poop Farm ska song. I don't know. You can definitely <laughs> dance to it. Um, <laughs> there, I actually, um, 
I feel like there there was a big mod element in DC though before I was there. Um and I, I did I I shot a bunch of interviews for a DC Sky documentary that I never finished. And I talked to a lot of uh the mods from the like late eighties, early nineties scene. And there was like a small skinhead mod scene, um, like a little bit of scooter culture, I feel like going on, um, in the early nineties. And then I think that like there were like more kind of traditional sounding bands that came a little after that. I mean, there was the Pie Tasters, who I feel like, you know, have that soul mod ska situation going on. The Checkered Cabs. Um, I think this band, The Favorites, um, The Skunks. I want to say The Downbeat Rulers, but maybe I'm mixing up bands. Um, there's a really good DC ska comp that all these bands are on. Um, I feel like they didn't lean, they did maybe lean more in that, like, not traditional, but. I guess like yeah, following more in the the two tone, the the kind of that uh I don't know, aesthetic or not aesthetic, but just that's that style. That's that sound, yeah. So like bands like the Pie Tasters in Eastern Standard Time, would they play your town or or even like or, or any other kind of like, you know, touring acts? Like would they come through or was it always just like you gotta go to Baltimore or you gotta go to DC? Like, like, would DC bands come and play the Corner Kick ever? Like, like the bigger bands and stuff. Like, the Pie Tasters ever play there? That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, they would. They would. That was like a secret show. Like, it was like, hey, we're gonna have a Halloween show, secret guest, and we're like, oh shit, you know, we learn who it was, and it was the Pie Tasters, and it was like insane. Um, yeah, I'll, the, the the scene, the band that the bigger band that I think did the ska punk thing um, earlier on in that scene was the Decepticons. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, and uh, and Jorge went on to be in the Pie Tasters. Um, I mm-hmm. believe you talked to him, but um, they were like, um, they're from Virginia, and they were, uh, yeah, we love them. Um, but I think early on it was like this kind of, yeah, coming from that kind of mod, uh, vibe. I remember Steve Jackson from the Pie Tasters when I interviewed him, he told me some joke about like, like, uh, why is the mod wearing a parka because it's raining in <laughs> raining in England or something like that. Like they all like, I think early on, <laughs> great joke. They were all really trying to like, just like, you know, finding records and just only having the cover of an album being like, let's dress like this, you know, and there was no internet. And um, yeah. So I think that there was those traditions earlier in the scene, I think. So you did end up making a documentary about the slackers though, right? Yes. Yeah. I was shooting them kind of, I was in film school in college and um, during my summer breaks, I was shooting a lot of these DC Sky interviews and going around talking to people. And then for like a a project at NYU, I um, interviewed Vic uh, from the Slackers. I don't remember how, but he let me talk to him in his practice space and I did like a little interview with him and uh, everything he said was so compelling. <laughs> He's like a really, yeah. um, just like, uh, just a really amazing guy to talk to. And I, you know, asked them about, uh, if I could like, you know, do a whole documentary on the band. I didn't really know what I was doing. <laughs> I think they were just mm-hmm. like, there wasn't like an official thing. I just, they were like, sure. Um, they let me come to shows and tape them and interview everybody. And, um, yeah, so I ended up switching gears to that. I think, yeah, I mean, I think uh, 
I still love DC Ska and I want to do something with those, that information that I have. I feel guilty <laughs> about it. Um, but this was something that was a little more, I think, like something I could grasp my brain a little around a little easier and kind of happening in the moment. So I ended up doing this documentary on the Slackers. Is that documentary available to watch anywhere? Yeah, it's on YouTube. Damn. Yeah, go watch it after this. Yeah. The the idea of saying like I'm gonna inter- I'm gonna do a documentary about a specific band versus an entire scene like I just that's that's like night and day in terms of <laughs> accessibility or you know your ability to finish the project. Yeah, I mean I, I'm I'm you know I think you of all people would know <laughs> about that kind of uh, mm-hmm. you know taking on that thing. Like I, I think I got into like too much of the weeds. Like I would just like I would talk to someone who was like a friend of the band and like yeah I was in. Like, uh, you should talk to this person. And then, like, I would just kind of keep trailing down, like, friend groups and stuff and, and to a point where I'm just like, I, I think I didn't know when to stop. And <laughs> it was just becoming overwhelming. Um, but there was a lot of cool stuff I learned in, like, demo tapes that I, like, recorded of, you know, these, like, you know, late 80s, early 90s mod bands and, you know, smaller ska bands that kind of, you know, peaked before the big boom, I guess. Um, it was cool. Sorry. Sorry, DC. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you made a short film called She, She, She's a Bombshell about three friends on their way home from a ska show, and one of them won't shut up, not realizing <laughs> that he's annoying the other two friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was my senior like thesis film in uh, at NYU. Um, and it was just like, you know, based off the uh, the many car rides to and from shows that I had, mm-hmm. and just the I don't know, like going to shows is just was such a beautiful, almost religious experience for me. Um, of just like being in the pit with so many people, and just like the energy, and like just screaming lyrics. It was just a uh, I don't know. I I never felt anything like that before, and also, you know, there would be you're a teenager, you're looking for romance, you see someone, maybe you talk to them, maybe you don't, you're, they're really cool looking, they have a mohawk, you don't know what to do, they're very intimidating, there's a lot of <laughs> things that happen, um, and it's it's all beautiful, um, and that's, yeah, so I made that. Actually, the footage, it's, um, I also made it because um, I was animating it all by myself, um, and so I tried to pick something that I could actually accomplished so i said well three characters sitting in a car there's not a lot to animate i think i can finish this so i made a very talky short with characters sitting um (laughs) but the background the background footage so there's the car is drawn but then there's like lights like going by and behind the car outside of it and that's actually just video footage of the actual drive from the 930 club in dc to my house back in olney so that is like DC footage in there. there. There's a comic that you drew that I think a lot of people listening have probably seen. It's called 10 uses for 10 different ska bands. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I've seen that before. I had, I didn't know that was you before I did research for this interview. Yeah. Oh man. Um, yeah. I mean, before, uh, before Craig of the Creek, I had a lot, I had more time on my hands than I would <laughs> draw comics. Um, I don't know. I've always tried to, I, you know, um, yeah, that was just, you know, that was just a love letter to, 
to all the different bands and how they make me feel, you know? Ben, I remember this. I didn't know you drew this. You didn't know that was him? <laughs> no, I saw it like when it happened. <laughs> yeah, because the funny part is that it has bombed the music industry. And I remember thinking like, that is really interesting that this person included bomb the music industry. You fucker. (laughs) (laughs) Now it all makes sense. (laughs) This is so good. I've never seen it before. The boss tones one is good, Ben. Yeah. So good. It's just a picture of Alicia Silverstone. It says being in Clueless. (laughs) But then there's a little arrow pointing to the like blurry spot where the boss tones are. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Okay. And then Another big uh, piece of your Scott resume, you drew the illustration for the Scott Dream cover. Yes. And the No Dream cover. Oh, and No Dream also, not just, you didn't just add the Scott characters to the, that's what I assumed. Uh, no, I did the No Dream one as well. Um, uh-huh, yeah, okay. that was all thanks to Jeff letting me try to do that. Thank you. Thanks for um, doing it. Try to do it. Try to do it. <laughs> Come did on, it. Ben. You did it. <laughs> it's there. Yeah, yeah. That was like, um, we talked about that right before the pandemic i feel like that was like the last time i saw you in person for a little bit maybe right yeah the, yeah because we i i was like just moved to la i was like this is sick i'm gonna make i'm gonna make some art with ben that's gonna be really fun wow all the things i'll do all right so ben give us a little insight this is what really happened right he said hey can you make this uh, album cover for this record called no dream and then make it so eventually i can add ska characters to it so i'm because i'm gonna do a ska version of this album like in a, a year or later Oh, yeah, it's all super premeditated. Uh, make sure to leave space and everything like that, yeah. <laughs> I, I I think I did ask you, Ben, uh, if it was okay to do Ska Dream. I think I was like, as a Ska fan, is this, like, or is this okay, or does it seem like we're making fun? You were like, it's good. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> that I said the right thing. <laughs> in Defense of Ska will return in a moment. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, okay, Jeff, you mentioned the Bomb Music Industry show. Um, 
this was like 2007, I think, at a house show. Yeah, that, I I believe that's when it. That's I think that's when it was. Okay, that makes sense. Al, like things happening wise. Yeah. So you had said you Jeff had said in an interview that that's how you got, ended up getting the show Craig of the Creek. Yeah, essentially, I guess. I mean, could you elaborate on that? Well, Ben saw the band, and then you. I mean, you kept listening to it and then when it was time to have music for a show you emailed me is there any is there any more to that ben i mean uh i think that like i i mean yeah jeff uh my favorite musician um and i had so many bomb shirts i could wear one every day of the week um and i i was just like yeah i just loved your music and I also knew like from from you doing bomb that you could like self produce like amazing stuff. Um and so yeah, I asked you. <laughs> I, I emailed Ben a, a very mushy thing uh about this a couple of days ago, but I, it's some, like uh Ben is one of I, I don't know too many people who have and been certainly beyond the way anybody has like kind of believed in my ability to make all kinds of music and to be able to actually do it and didn't really look at it as like here's this like goofy drunk punk like you know drunkenly mashing on a keyboard and screeching out off key melodies which is generally like how things were described uh um it was it was nice ben yeah Bringing me on the show, like not only like trusting me with like punk ska stuff, but like uh, all, all the all the wild places that the shows go. And I always thought it was really nice that that came from this backyard show that was very chaotic and stuff uh, versus uh, the way I thought it would happen or could happen for anybody to like get a job like that, which is that like you go to school to get a very specific degree. Um, and then you like network and intern and eventually like, like, I didn't even know how it would happen. It, it feels like a one in a million shot that would have involved a lot of like agents and managers and people working on your behalf. Um, and it was always, it's always really sweet to me that it didn't really happen that way for me. Uh, like the seed of it, I guess, was that house show, right? Like you hadn't known Bomb before that, right? It was, it's neat. You're a real one, Ben. You're the best. <laughs> <laughs> what made that house show so chaotic? I remember Bob climbed up a ladder and the, like there's it was Brooklyn and in the backyard there was like a it was like a fire escape ladder to nowhere. Maybe it was to replace the power lines. I just remember yeah. a picture of like Bob playing the Shinobu set and uh having climbed all the way up to the top of this ladder. Uh, while playing bass and it was really weird i remember i think it was the first show they had at c lab um so the neighbors were like the neighbors who would eventually start throwing eggs and stuff because they're like oh wait you're doing this all the time we're like oh shit this is a party and i feel like they were like throwing beers over the fence or something uh it was just it was a real party and like it was i don't know for for bomb i, I would say it was chaotic uh one, because we had Laura playing with us and Sean playing with us, if I'm remembering correctly. And the two of them weren't like on the tour. They were just, you know, it was a collective. So people popped in and out. Um, so we were just like, I don't know. We're all having a really 
fun, good time. I had had a troubling time getting shows in Brooklyn because it was such a cool place um, and nobody replied to my emails. Uh, so I remember like when we were playing like basically in our friend's backyard in Brooklyn, everybody's just like, yeah, let's just go hard. I don't know. Bomb shows were kind of chaotic all the time, though. <laughs> sure. Is this Sean McCabe, the uh, yes mandolin player on Craig Before the Creek? Yes, Sean McCabe, the mandolin player on Craig Before the Creek, and uh, Laura Stevenson, the uh, vocalist on Craig Before the Creek. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're all. I, I keep them all with me. <laughs> keep asking. Keep asking them to do stuff. Ben, do you remember that show very well? Yeah, I'm. I um, I remember. I mean, I feel like I, at several of those like shows, you guys always had so much equipment. It was like a lot more than who else was playing, and so it always take yeah. forever to set up. And then like something would go wrong after one song, and then you have to yeah. set it up. There was maybe a hockey stick microphone stand or something happening. I feel like there was something like that was I, I that might be the era where we were like hanging socks over all of our microphones so we didn't get shocked but they were also like the oh, socks yeah. we were wearing that day so it was pretty gnarly <laughs> and every, and we'd all have like one sock on while we played I think I went to that show alone and I was at in the front of the house I remember like standing in front of the house just like trying to make conversation with one of the dudes who lived there or something I was just like oh so you like live here and he was like are you a cop? And I was like, no, not a cop. <laughs> <laughs> I just trying to talk to somebody. I'm going to go to the backyard. Um, that's, oh, <laughs> uh, they were a blast though. Uh, that, I don't know. It was, it was an awesome show. Uh, I'm sorry. You got called a cop. <laughs> I was just trying to make conversation. <laughs> Can you walk us through the, the process of Craig of the Creek becoming a show and when you brought Jeff in and how that, how that worked with the network and everything else. Yeah. Um, so I, before Craig, the Creek, um, I was writing for, I was working at Cartoon Network writing for a show called Steven universe. And I got the chance, me and my writing partner, Matt Burnett, who's the co-creator of Craig the Creek along with me. Um, we had the chance to pitch a show to Cartoon Network. We'd actually pitched, um, once before we pitched Craig the Creek, we'd pitched something and it didn't work out. And um, I, I kind of had like done, I learned a lot from being on Steven Universe and like sort of like was reevaluating like what I wanted to do and what I wanted to make. And I was, when I was coming up with Craig, we were just thinking about like what we love to do. And um, so I'm going to give you a longer story and then I'll, I'll try and go through it quickly. Um, but uh, Matt and I used to do this web series um, about like these three nerds who LARP. Um, and mm -hmm. we, when we came out to LA, um, we, we came out to try and pitch the show to some different places and nobody got it. Nobody wanted it. And um, but it was like a fun thing we did about these like three nerds like playing around. And I sort of had this idea of like, well, maybe like that kind of concept would make a lot more sense if they were just kids like playing in the woods. Um, and um, both Matt and I had grown up on the East coast. Matt is from New Jersey. Um, and we both lived like in these suburbs with little like patches of woods behind our houses. So um, yeah, it was just like something like this place from my childhood that I used to go to. And it was just like free to be wild and kind of make up your own adventures. 
we kind of combine those things we love to do and um we pitched that idea to Cartoon Network and um I didn't really expect it to get picked up um we pitched it and they liked our initial pitch and we did like a storyboard for a pilot um uh where it was like a 7 minute short basically was that the one that eventually became the pilot yeah yeah so we did a storyboard pitch for that and they liked that too and then they were like can you like finish like they we had they gave us some notes and they're like can you finish it and we're like we're not gonna i don't know we just didn't think they were gonna pick it up because we'd been rejected before we're like oh whatever and they're like can you please like hurry with this um (laughs) yeah we were so we got greenlit to make a short and that's when um jeff came in to do the music um i had I, i don't i forget if we had had like temp music in um the like the pilot or the animatic did you ever see it with the temp music i'm trying to remember if there was i i i remember there being temp music in episode one but i don't Mm. know if there was temp music in the animatic i don't remember i mean in i for sure like used some of your songs in like uh the pilot like when we were like editing the pilot um use of ska songs yeah there was an antarctica song at the end there was an me 330 song in the middle mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i think super oh. super rad was in there is that the one that's on youtube um the pilot should be on you i think it's on youtube yeah yeah that was just that was the sort of the animatic it's um before it's animated when we edit together like the storyboards to the voice actors recordings um that's called an animatic um and it's just like you know black and white and kind of used those songs to pace it out and then um but it was you know my dream to work with jeff on this and so i asked jeff um i forget how but i asked you 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 emailed me yeah and it it was my dream to work on a cartoon (laughs) and and i was like what i i don't i've never called anybody back that quickly in my entire life i was just like (laughs) oh shit this is what I like. I didn't believe it was real. Like, I don't know. And you were counting, you were, uh, sorry. Do you, is it okay that I just jumped? Yeah. Jump in, go in. Um, please. Uh, but like, uh, like, yeah, you mentioned that you worked on Steven universe. I was like, no fucking way. And I like Googled it. It was like, what the fuck? Uh, like it just kind of like, yeah. Uh, it blew my mind. So yeah, I, I called you back very quickly and was like, yeah, I want to do this. Uh, and, we met i don't i don't know how much later we met up at the hi-hat do you remember yeah. this yeah i remember meeting up at the hi-hat yeah yeah and, and we spoke you talked to me about we mostly spoke about how the life won't wait demos which i had not heard yet uh are better than the record life won't wait which is my favorite rancid record <laughs> that's, yeah. that's mostly what we talked about <laughs> <laughs> they're so good <laughs> they are good the version uh of uh who would have thought on there, right? Is that the one that's just like basically all ska? I mean, it's just more ska and it sounds like they're playing together. Yeah. The Cash Culture and Violence. Oh, that's yeah. Bass Drop remix. That one. That's like one of my favorite songs. Like, that's like, a, I really like what they did with that. Um, yeah, we talked about that. <laughs> I'm surprised they haven't put those out. Like, they're good. What are they doing? Everybody like put out a deluxe or something, right? Let's go. No, life won't wait. <laughs> <laughs> damn it's it's weird that like 
yeah i i didn't i was it's funny to hear you like we've talked about it but that you felt that way about doing the the music because i was just like i'm taking the biggest swing here i don't know if this is gonna (laughs) any interest at all um so i was like just amazed i was so pumped so ben did you have to clear this with cartoon network or they're just like whatever you want's fine we did we did technically have to clear it with them i remember there was one meeting where we were discussing a lot of things and jeff like was one of them um i remember one of the like studio execs was just like i don't know about this and (laughs) (laughs) are you sure and then uh i think i don't know i think uh someone else like it's fine (laughs) (laughs) i think they just were looking for something to be a little unsure about and i was you know very insistent and i think they didn't care enough to argue with me thank you for being insistent (laughs) i always did kind of wonder like if they like looked into anything that i'm doing if they were like this guy's like hanging fucking 666 flags and like telling people to like you know burn down the capitalist state (laughs) or whatever uh we shouldn't have this person on the show i've always wondered how how that stuff slipped by their radar I mean, I think like Cartoon Network in general at that time, like things were fairly loose. I think that we a lot of things did slip under the radar because um, the the shows uh, don't have as much scrutiny as like at Disney or, or Nickelodeon. I think partially because they're it's a lower budget place. Um, so they're like, well, whatever. Uh, they're making their thing. But um, it, Cartoon Network is, I feel like, just has uh, had a a weird vibe like that. Like they um, kind of let people do their things pe- somewhat. Um, but like also we, I feel like we'd had other, we've had conversations like that in the past at Cartoon Network. And we had one on Steven universe about, we had Nicki Minaj do a voice and there was a whole thing about that. Um, but I think that once we had that kind of precedent, it's like, I mean, come on, you can't connect. Like if an actor does one, uh, it doesn't R-rated movie. Does that mean they can't be on a kid's show? Like, there's like, how much degrees can you really care about this? You know? Yeah. Um. So I feel like we made that argument before because there's there's been times where I think they have been like, I don't know. Um. But it, yeah, it wasn't really a, a problem from I remember. So so Jeff, when you uh, had announced on Instagram that you were doing the show, you said that you had done like two hours of music, and that you also you sh- you shared a photo of this cramped, messy room <laughs> filled with instruments and computers. And so this is where I recorded it. Yeah. So, I mean, is that is, is, is that just where you were recording music in general at the time? Yeah, it was just where I did my demos. It was like uh, we had a three-bedroom apartment in Greenpoint, and uh, one of the rooms we were subletting out to our friend. Um, and then one of the other rooms was like the size of a... Like you could probably fit a queen mattress in there, no bed frame, that's it. Uh, it was like, you know, that kind of New York City bedroom, um, but it was right off of our bedroom. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of like I was like, great, that'll be perfect little tiny studio to record some stuff in. And uh, yeah, like I recorded I look like shit in there and I demoed all the records before I moved in there. Um, so it was already. Yeah, that was already where I was working. Um, I The first 
the dumb thing that I did, uh, which uh, I don't know what the hell I was thinking, but I did the first 20 episodes of Craig, uh, this job I did not know how to do. Um, I did it on my laptop because I wanted it to be kind of like, I wanted to come at it from like a, somebody could make this, somebody else could make this kind of thing. Like it, like it was very low, like low price of entry kind of thing, like kind of in the spirit of like early bomb stuff where it's like, if you have a laptop, you can make some, you can make some records. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I w- it was in that room with a underpowered computer that kept like having crashes and stuff like that. And then, and then eventually I moved to a computer that worked <laughs> <laughs> after 20, but I got my 20 in and I feel like it was smart too, because then it was like, then it was like taking like, I don't know, weights off to start working on like a computer that worked a little better and start. And slowly I started working with like you know, more like expensive sample libraries that sounded more convincingly orchestral as like the show demanded it and stuff. But yeah, to answer your question, yeah, it was all in that room. Um, I have a bigger studio where I live now uh, at my house, but like the setup isn't really that much different. Like I keep everything within arm's distance and I'm just in a spinny chair, like spinning around, like playing this keyboard or grabbing this thing or grabbing this thing and just trying to go as fast as possible and just like, fill it all in so it sounds cool and good and and moving and stuff and fun you know is there any specific instrument that is like a signature sound to the craig of the creek show well i think like punk and ska in general being in it like so um to answer your question better like yeah like craig uh if you hear like kind of this like chorusy uh clean guitar strum uh that's generally craig's voice or like kind of like uh my my worst point of reference possible but like saved by the bell style or like california dreams style like uh like clean chorus guitar like sentimental music uh like that stuff's very craggy um i have a i like any melodica stuff is usually reserved for jp uh, Kelsey's stuff is very Kelsey has all sorts of stuff like she's very metal in real life but then kind of like these like more orchestral instruments uh, or medieval instruments for when she kind of goes in a fantasy world and then once we had more characters like Xavier uh, like his tense themes are like all done with like 808 um, and uh, Maya who um, was Xavier's uh just like right hand person and eventually defects or whatever um like uh her instrument i i was inspired by this or i just i had the cd of rust in peace by megadeth in my car when i moved out here <laughs> uh and there's a song five magics where there's like a lot of like clean chorusy bass doing these like metal arpeggios and i thought that would sound really cool for her um there's all sorts of stuff like that. Like if you go through like any number of characters, uh, you know, usually like with this show, like every episode I've, or not every episode, but like so frequently, like new characters would get introduced and I'd be like, okay, well, how do I represent them in a way that doesn't seem like it sounds like somebody else. And then like a lot of that stuff uh, gets fleshed out uh like later when they appear again like it, like ran has all these like synths and like sciency sounding things uh but then like 
the common thread that I tried to do to pull this all together was just basically keeping it ska punk or like bringing that in wherever I could. Uh, I always felt like that was what kind of brought the show back to like home base. Um, Mm -hmm. Even like in the movie, like towards the end where the adventure like really gets kind of heightened and the music gets, uh, you know, kind of like John Williams, inspired, like, like, you know, like eighties, nineties, like, fantasy action adventure inspired like score like i was trying to sneak in like like english beat style guitars or something or just like something in there that like kept it ska one because like i never had heard music being made in that way before uh like cinematic music with like ska influences like that sounds Mm -hmm. it sounds like if an idea that if you told anybody other than ben (laughs) that you want to do that that person would fire you. <laughs> and, uh, but to me, it was, it's always like, it's the heartbeat of the show, you know, and punk stuff mm-hmm. too. So it was always just kind of, and also like just in, in my like childhood and, and uh, adolescent years, just like thinking about listening to music on headphones just all the time, because that was just, I just loved music and I'd always be listening to music and I wasn't great socially. Um, so I would just listen to lots of music and I always tried to keep like that kind of stuff threaded throughout the show. Um, because that was, that was my childhood and it was all like energetic stuff that made me psyched, you know? So like having that kind of stuff run throughout and also always just trying to see how fast I can make the music, like see how much like really fast music I could sneak in before it becomes like, you can't do that. And it's like, okay. Uh, which, which to everybody's, which to Ben's credit, to Matt's credit, like you let me fly with some very fast stuff. Uh, once I figured out how to do the job and I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even more than the ska stuff, like these little moments of like basically hardcore. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well yeah. the movie's got like power violence in it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Like almost the funniest to me is that how, and how it works, how you could have this style of music and, and it works in a kid's program. I thanks, man. Yeah. I, I, uh, once when we were finally like recording it with people, cause like when I'm at home, I'm just kind of like, you know, just trying to make it match and trying to make it good. When we're recording with actual people, I was like, oh man, this is like, this is also a power violence record kind of. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> right back after this ska on kids shows isn't a new thing but i think you know a lot of people that have done that have sort of been like well ska is just ska silly uh ska is fun that's why it's there but the music that you make is um it's different and it's used differently on the show the there's there's an emotional element to it it's very thoughtful so watching this to me was was very unusual to see the way ska was used in a kids show so differently cool thank you i i i'm aware of that i when i and i hope that this is what ben was hoping for too when when you asked me buddy but like like the thought of doing music for a cartoon and uh making ska music for a cartoon in particular um my immediate thinking was like i do not want this to be like paw patrol basically 
Like, yeah. I don't want it to sound like a Sunny Delight commercial. Like, maybe sometimes, you know? <laughs> uh, but, like, I, I don't want it to just feel like it's this stock, um, just, like, bubbly music all the time. Um, because, that you know, that isn't what being a kid feels like. Um, and, uh, and the ska that I listened to growing up, like, you listen, like, there are... So there were songs on like Hello Rock View or Question the Answers um, that like I don't if it, it would just hit me at like the right time and it would like make my heart break and it would really just like it would just touch this other like it meant it me it meant a lot to me I mean it still does but like it really like hit me when I was a kid in a big way um, and I and it's the same for Ben accurate yeah oh yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to approach it with that in mind um, and to try not make anything lame. And then like once I started getting episodes, it was it was easy to do that because the like it's the same thing with the show. Like, you know, not like it's a red herring or anything, but like it, it has real emotional depth to it um, that's balanced out by like really funny jokes and uh really like wild animation and all sorts of and all sorts of things and it was like okay cool like that it this show like it wouldn't work with that kind of like you know uh micro machines commercial ska music <laughs> like like that that wouldn't work on the show like it it needs it needed something with uh with heart and with depth and uh i believe scott punk has that which i think a lot of people uh generally you know, only see like the surface elements of it or whatever. Sure. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, that's that's what I was trying to do. And then and then as it moved on, just trying to be like, oh, like we're literally making uh, where this episode looks like a G, like a like a Studio Ghibli movie. And I am trying to make music uh, that sounds like that. But how do I sneak ska chords in there to make it sound like Craig of the Creek? So on the on your live album, Thanks Sorry, you played the Craig of the Creek theme song. Yeah. Was that a normal part of your live set or did you just throw that on there so that it was on a record of yours? Oh, no, we were just playing it. Uh, we were just playing it live in the set at that point on on tour. Oh, you were? Okay. It felt like a good place to put it. We just played like this long, like four and a half minute song. It felt good to play the Craig of the Creek song after that. <laughs> kind of like a reset. What sort of reaction does it get live? We haven't played it in a while. Uh, when we played it then, uh, the show was just starting. Um so it was like a bunch, like a handful of people would be like, yeah, cool. Um, but uh, we don't really know how to play it anymore because since the pandemic <laughs> happened, like, you know, the songs that didn't make it to the next tour, like kind of escaped everybody's brains. And people have asked us to play it. And I'm like, what do you think, guys? And like, we tried to get through it once in Salt Lake City uh, and we played it. But then I realized Mike Huguenor uh, I think was playing a completely different song from the musical at that point. Oh, amazing. Uh, and I was like, okay, cool. I think he was playing the Creek is everywhere. I forget. Cause we played that in our Scott dream set. Like we sneak in Creek stuff. Like we play Creek is everywhere in our Scott dream set. Um, and we've been playing uh, the end, the full version of the end credits song, uh, illegal fireworks and hiding bottles in the sand for, uh, for the last few years live. And that's been fun. And whenever I say like, uh, whenever I sing the I'll see you tomorrow at the Creek line, which I've started sneaking in there, you know, 
there's there's a contingent of fans that go woo and i'm like yeah there's my creek people hell yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah so what do you want to talk a little bit about in the key of creek the the musical episode that you wrote this was a near the end of the second season. Yeah. What was that process like to write, write a, like a musical episode? Ben, do you, how did you convince? Cause I just, I feel like since the show started, I was like, bro, you gotta let me write a musical episode. And you're like, okay. Uh, how did you convince them to let that happen? Cause I know animation wise, it's crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, with, uh, with the show, I just say, I'll say in general about the show, uh, everyone, the crew is very passionate about it and everyone for each season will, will end up doing something. We're like, we've never done something as hard as this. And, but everyone's like pumped about it. And then the next season we do something even bigger and we're like, that was easy. Why are we doing this thing now? <laughs> yeah. We were trying to end the season with a, with a bang. I don't remember. We didn't need anyone's permission. I think it was like, yeah. Cause I was just like, I'll just come out there. Yeah. It was like more like, yeah. I mean, well, it took a lot of finagling, but yeah, I don't remember how um, we must have talked about it first. Uh, you came out here and like wrote really quickly. Yeah, uh, well, we we talked about it, and you were like, you you wanted it to be a pirate episode, right? Am I remembering this right? Oh, there, yes. And, and I was, and I was like, I don't want to. And I was thinking about the look. No disrespect to this band, uh, but I was thinking about the Mad Caddies record, Rock the Plank. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was like, I do not. And <laughs> I, I think I told, I was like, please, Ben, don't make me do that. Uh, which is funny because now the movie's a pirate movie. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I came out. Um, it was, it was really nice. I got an Airbnb in North Hollywood, um, just like some person's apartment. And I set up my laptop uh, and I, brought like a little midi controller and chris farron lent me like a bass and just basically all the things i would need to like make a full thing uh and i was like set up and then i would go over to cartoon network uh we would hang like i remember the first we we met in that we me you and matt and Deshaun and jeff uh, I forget if anybody else was in there. Zach, Zach was in there. Uh, mm-hmm. anybody else? Uh, anyway, we yeah, we sure. we met in that pit yeah. in the pitch room. Uh, and like they had already written out like an outline, uh, a uh, premise for the episode, um, which is basically, you know, the beats of when things happen and stuff like that. And we kind of talked through like, okay, well, when do the songs happen and what do the songs do? Um, And Deshaun pitched a joke, which we couldn't do, which was that in order to get Craig to the Creek from his bedroom, that he jumps out the window and rides a rainbow down. (laughs) You guys were like, we can't have Craig jumping out a window. Uh, (laughs) And, and then and then Matt like hummed like a little I think Matt hummed basically like what could what what was close enough or maybe exactly the well will the rain and that and I mm. and like gears just immediately started turning. I had like my little keyboard and I was just like, Oh yeah, I think it could go like this. And I remember you guys were like, Whoa and I was like, I don't know. Uh and I was like, Let me go back to the Airbnb and record this really quick and 
then I went back and did like like made made a made what's basically on there in like four or five hours or whatever uh maybe longer than that and then I went and saw and I sent it to Ben I went and saw the movie no uh us um or maybe get out uh I saw one of those and then um I got in my car and drove back and then I had an email back from Ben that was like it's good and I was like oh thank god and then like once once like that was once it was like okay you're on the right track it was really easy and I would just go in and we would talk about it and I would kind of like pitch ideas for the songs everybody was really supportive everybody was giving really really great like ideas for how to finish them up and it was just really really fun it happened really quickly uh, which is good because I didn't have that much time to do it. Uh, but also because I just, I don't know. I think good, I think it's, I think good songs happen. I think when songs happen quick, a lot of the time, uh, in my experience, like they're, they end up being good. Uh, so I was stoked. Um, and then they had to animate it. <laughs> yeah. We, so for the end of each season, I feel like we try and go out with something big. And I think this was like definitely like a bucket list thing for the show. If we didn't do anything else, is to get to do, yeah, musical thing with you and yeah and for me i I, it was it was really fun it was it was the best like i was just i got like uh i had the i got the sonic youth cd dirty for my rental car for like five bucks from amoeba and i would just like you know it's cold in new york and i would leave this nice la apartment and drive to this fucking storied building to work with all these amazing people i don't know i'm always like I'm always pitching myself working with the cred crew because like Ben said, they, they're everybody's really passionate and everybody is very like, everybody really always wants to push and wants to go hard. And also everybody just makes really incredible work is really supportive. So when I'm, when I'm in there, I'm just like, Oh wow. I like, I don't know. It, I, I'm always, I always feel lucky to be had there. Um, but anyway, so we, so we wrote the songs uh, and then Ash and Roan storyboarded it, um, and and then I came and then everybody acted it. But then I no, I came out and and recorded. We did like the vocal takes. Hi, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we we did them in like what do we have? How long are the sessions? Two hours. The sessions are are four. We have four hours for to record an episode regularly, um, and that's not singing. <laughs> So. <laughs> yeah and and also and like like bless everybody everyone was prepared and that was sick because everybody did a really good job on it um but we and also we were shooting a behind the scenes thing that never aired and i was just trying to not get in any of the actors heads uh about that being part of it which in hindsight i'm like i don't know if i needed to do that but that was my instinct at the time uh, so I was like, okay, well, they'll come in and they'll shoot and those will be your practice takes and then we'll do real ones. Um, and it's a miracle we got through it all. <laughs> like, I, but like I was just watching the clock and it was like, it was like making a record at Jack's where you're like, okay, we have a day to make, to record a full record and mix a full record. Let's go. Let's not get bogged down with thinking it's not going to happen. Let's just like, let's just push. Let's go, 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 go. Um, and we needed, we did need one extra session, but like, uh, it, yeah, it was crazy. That was intense. And now we record songs for the show, Ben, and it takes like, it takes like an hour to do it. I feel like an hour, hour yeah. and a half to like get the full takes. I'm just like, how the hell did that musical episode happen? I know. It was a very <laughs> stressful day. That was, that was a crazy day. 
<laughs> Before we go and start talking about the movie and the soundtrack for the movie, uh, I think Adam, did you get some questions from your kids? I do. Uh, my my. So I have two sons, James and Thomas. They uh, they're ten and twelve. Uh, they introduced me to Craig of the Creek before I even realized Jeff was involved. And so they, the show would just be on in the background and every now and again, like the music would make my ears perk up or just the jokes in the show. And I was just like, what is the show? And then I realized <laughs> Jeff was involved. And then I realized that, you know, there's a deeper connection here. So um, my son, James, big fan of the show and I actually recorded um, some questions from him. Nice. So here's, here's the first one. Let's uh, let's play it. What is the idea of Craig of the Creek? What gave you the idea for Craig of the Creek? All right. What gave you the idea for Craig of the Creek? I think we already kind of covered that, but uh, talk a little bit about hanging out down in the creek yourself. Well, there's this creek I used to play by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, there when I moved to Maryland, um, I was living in this house, um, and behind it was it's just yeah, little little patch of woods. And me and my friend um, Clark, uh, the show is not Clark of the Creek, but the sea of that is inspired. <laughs> uh, we would go down into the creek and just have adventures. And it felt like when we were in there, just like just like we were in an endless forest, um, we would build yeah. forts and run into other kids and the kids jump in, you know, dirt ramps and uh, climb into the sewers. So it was all just from, yeah, the childhood of playing in the woods. Yeah, I I had a creek that ran through our neighborhood in uh, Gilroy, Uvis Creek, and it was all overgrown with bamboo. Ooh! And so kids would like tear down the bamboo and then build forts out of the bamboo. And so you would find these like ramshackle forts that kids had put together out in the out in the boonies. That is cool. There was one patch of bamboo where we were, and it was like. Like with Craig, like just it was a part of our map of where the creek was. That's sick. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Here's another question. Yeah. Um. What gave you the idea for the heart of the forest to become an actual part of the storyline instead of it being just a show in it? Oh. Heart of the forest. Oh, like like Haru, um, the heart of the forest. Um. So, um. Well, this is a little bit of a complex one. Uh, in in Craig of the Creek, there's um, Craig plays on one side of the creek, and then um, partway through watching the show, he discovers another side of the creek over this beyond this uh, overpass. And there, the kids play in a more regimented way. It's sort of this um, monarchy um, where, like, there's a king, and the subjects all like dress like flowers and have like different plant names, like to their like what rank they are. Um, so we had kind of created, it was, we had created that, uh, other side of the Creek. And then we started creating the backstory for why it was like that. And that that's where this, we had this idea that the first King of the other side of the Creek was this big fan of this anime that had all these kind of magical plant characters in it. And that's where it came from. So it sort of evolved, um, from that, from just like creating this King and this other side. And then finding out what could be the backstory of this and going from there. Hell yeah. All right. One more. Um, is, would the storyline be different if it didn't get canceled? How would the storyline be different? Um, 
I think that we and we finished the the heart there there's a heart of the forest arc that uh um we finished up uh before we were canceled. Um and uh after that we were doing the movie and then um returning to do more episodes of the show. And I think after doing like so many um kind of like arcs and like big continuous stories we wanted to return to doing like just fun like one-off episodes so i think uh there's more stuff we wanted to do that we didn't get to do unfortunately um because they cut our last season in half um because of corporate mergers um but (laughs) uh, there's more stuff we would have done um there's no like big storyline that you'll see only part of um we just had to just pull some storylines out but um yeah there's a lot of fun stuff in the, the final season in defense of ska will return in a moment all right let's let's talk about the movie and uh, specifically the soundtracking of the movie so you, Jeff, you recorded this at Atomic Gardens, which is where you record your records. Yeah. I assume you've never recorded anything Craig-related at Atomic Gardens before? No, no, I haven't. This was a bigger endeavor than you'd ever really done for the show before? Yeah, uh, just in uh, in a lot of ways. M- musically, it ended up being, being pretty wild, but uh, the biggest endeavor was like figuring out how to find an orchestra, how to like budget for it, how to record them, all of that stuff. I had never done any of that uh, in my life uh, or for the show. <laughs> yeah. So you have a core band called the Wishmakers. Yeah. Let's go through the name. This, I mean, so you're basically working aside from the orchestra, I assume, or some of the orchestra. These are your friends, people you've known and worked with already. You're you're kind of pulling from your friends and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it, uh the Wishmakers is basically the Scott Dream Band, which is mm-hmm. uh, you know, my band, uh, John, Kevin, Dan, Mike, uh, and then we got Jer and Matt on horns. Um, and then there is a cinematic percussion element to the movie um, that uh, my buddy Namdi, uh, who I just know has really just really likes cartoon music, I believe, uh, and also is just like a freak of musical talent, uh, can really do anything. Um, and uh, Zach, uh, who plays in Pup, um, who is also just interested in uh, movie scores and makes his own kind of like movie score music sometimes uh and i and is also a great drummer and plays in my band sometimes when we're in canada um and i just like yeah i was just like okay i know all these people will be great and it'll be fun to work with them uh and maybe and that they would like to do it you know that it wouldn't really take too much convincing uh to do it <laughs> you had a friends nicolay as well oh right yeah how did i forget franz franz what did he do He's plays the accordion. I mean, oh, th- it's a okay. pirate movie. You got to have a lot of accordion. So it's just like, sure. all right, got to ask, got to ask the guy. You know, um, I've seen Franz playing accordion since I was in college, and he's in like World Inferno doing stuff, and it was just like, yeah, cool. Um, it was cool to have him in there. It would have been fun. It would have been fun to like get him out to do it. Uh, but at a certain point, the budget got 
way out of my control. And it was like, okay, buddy, you're going to record this from home. <laughs> <laughs> so you had an orchestra. You also, okay. You also worked with the San Jose Taiko, which was pretty cool. Yes. Yeah. Did you have a connection to San Jose Taiko? Yeah. Um, Christine, who plays in San Jose Taiko, um, worked on our video, uh, our like live set that we did during the pandemic at the Atomic Garden, the live from the garden thing. Um, it was uh, her, she was working with Jean Ang, um, uh, and they shot it all. And off the cuff, kind of like when we were wrapping up, she mentioned that she was in San Jose Taiko. And, and and she's like, so if you ever need any Taiko drums for anything, um, and I was like, oh shit, I work I work on a cartoon, maybe maybe I will. Uh, like I it I it just got the seed planted, um, and then once I read the script uh, for the movie, I was like, oh yeah, we gotta have Taiko drums all over this because also I was trying to figure out a way to once again not make it sound like Rock the Plank. Uh, I was trying to not make it sound like a, I don't, and I don't know. I don't mean to talk shit about anything, uh, but like, I just didn't want it to sound like super typical pirate music, but I wanted it to sound like they were, but I didn't want to like, you know, be like a sore thumb, be like, no, I'm not going to make pirate music. Like, uh, like, so I was trying to figure out a way to do that. And Taiko drums to me just felt like it would match just like these, like, big booming like explosions from the cannons and just like and that first scene with them coming through and pushing through the trees and like the beginning them running like it just seems like there's so much space for like you know going fast paced with the rims and then just feeling like really big with the drums uh and and also i was just like and also i know if i want to do this i want to have to use fake taiko drums like i could get a real taiko ensemble that's sick uh, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, I, I emailed, uh, eventually talked to Franco, who's the leader of San Jose Taiko about it. And, uh, he was pumped and they did such a great job. It was, it was cool. That was some cool stuff. And we both got to play a Taiko drum, me and Ben. And we played dot, 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 dot on a Taiko drum. <laughs> Is there any, uh, can you point to any song or moment in the, sh- in the movie where you could, where the Taiko drums are very prominent? Yeah. I mean, when the, uh, when the ship first uh, pushes, when the when we first see the pirate ship, uh, big Tycho drums in that, but also like the opening of the movie, like it opens with this giant drum, um, and then you know it and it leads off the the big musical number of the movie. Join us, um, and it's it's just kind of spread throughout. It, it's it's under a lot of the pirate things, uh, and uh, but I would say those those three moments are the big taiko moments especially the pirate like the the first time we see the ship aaron have you ever seen san jose taiko drums perform before i think i have yeah it's it's really it's really cool i definitely saw them they were the opening band for skank and pickle what what (laughs) yeah (laughs) was it was it the last time mike played in the band or one of the last times it was how did how did that happen I don't know, but it was wild watching San Jose Taiko drums with a bunch of punks. Whoa. What did the what did the crowd what happened? This was like a festival thing, right? A San Jose festival? No, it was a show. It was a show, really? At least it felt like a show to me. I don't know. Was it at a venue? Yeah. Was it the um the event center on at the college? It's been demolished since, but okay. uh yeah. It's a great show. <laughs> that that's a good bill. San Jose Taiko and Skank and Pickle, I go to that show. Yeah. For sure. 
So th- there was photos of um, you guys recording the orchestra at the studio, and uh, John, your bass player, is conducting them. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so he wasn't the conductor. No, uh, 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 this dude Noah Luna, who um, worked with the Bandits of the Acoustic Revolution Orchestra, um, conducted everybody. Uh, and and found all the players and stuff too. I was lucky to have that connection through Dan P. Um, and I spoke to him, and he was really chill and really excited about doing it. And he found a lot of really, really like great people to play on it. Not just great players, but they were all really nice, great people. We had a really fun time during that session. Uh, actually, just got back from recording a string quartet for one of the last episodes, um, a string quintet, I should say. Um, and uh, it's just like it, it was very humbling and an honor to like have people who are so talented playing these things that I'm writing. Uh, it's it's kind of surreal and crazy. Um, but yeah, that was that was Noah Luna. How many people did you have in the studio or if you can recall? I can't recall how many we had in the studio. I think in total, uh, the orchestra's 40 pieces. Um, and I don't like I, I, I know we did six violin ones, five violin twos. Like I could kind of count a little bit, but I'm not sure. It was definitely at max capacity though. Um, We had to, John. what John did have to do was figure out how to get headphone feeds to everybody Um, where like, you know, a recording studio, you could, you could give like six or seven people headphones and it's cool. Um, But trying to get like 30 people headphones is hard. Um, And John was running lines out to them uh, the whole time. Uh, but once it got going, it was sick. It was really exciting. It was very like, uh, like I don't know if you felt the same way watching it, Ben, but it was like high wire act kind of thing. We we're just like, oh God, are they going to get this one? And like you hear it, it sounds beautiful. It's like, it's crazy. Uh, the, like the few times I was able to like step out of my job that day, which was to listen critically make sure all the notation was done correctly, make sure all the parts are being played correctly, make sure everybody's in tune, you know, like do the stuff you do when you're making a record. Um, Like when I could step out of it and just like watch what the orchestra was doing at like every take was just like, it was magical. It was crazy. I was, it was very intense and I was very giddy the whole time and running out of time the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Jared was in the orchestra and in the Wishmakers. Yeah. Now, it's my understanding that Jerry used a good trombone for the orchestra and a bad <laughs> trombone for the Wishmakers. My trombone. Adam's trombone yes. specifically. Yeah. I wonder if that was just a matter of getting up to high notes, but I do remember, I feel like I remember Jerry being like, oh, I wish I had a better trombone for this. Because <laughs> like, the ska horn stuff, um, it, that stuff wasn't easy either. Like none of it was easy. All the music I realized as other people had to play it, and it wasn't just me in my studio playing it till I got it right. And other people, including me, like having to do like live takes was like, oh, this is hard. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, but yeah, Jerry was in the uh, orchestra. Like Noah had a had a had an empty spot in trombones kind of towards the end of planning it and he was like i could find a trombone players like let me just see if Gerald do that'd be fun i bet they'd i bet they'd be stoked and they were it was cool so you had um some guest vocalists and some um let's see 
Mike Park. Yeah, well, that's a Bruce Lee band song. Bruce Lee, yeah. Which is cool. Did Mike sing, or was it just just, um, that you guys used that song? No, Mike wrote that song for the movie. So we, like, uh, Ben had put Temp uh, Super Rad in there, uh, but we were talking about it and trying to find a balance between, like, Something that feels kind of actiony and feels like, but doesn't feel dire, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so not something as like poppy and bubbly as super rad necessarily, but some, but not something as like, uh, as like dark sounding as like I want to riot. Yeah, you know, if 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 you can under if if you get what I'm saying. Uh, so I talked to Mike about that and he did what he does for Bruce Lee band, which is he just sent me a bunch of voice memos of like a verse and a chorus. And then slowly said like, and then maybe we could do this after that. I don't know. Um, and I kind of like mess around with all of them uh, with the scene. And then I was like, I don't know. And, and they're all like, they're all bangers. Like Mike is pretty incredible. Just like when he, if he sends you five songs, like five, all five of them will probably be good. Um, so with that in mind, I was like, Hey, can you send me another song? But like with this kind of way doing this and he's like, sure. And we just kind of like went through it really quick. And then, uh, one of them made sense and I kind of fleshed it out and made it match the picture. Uh, and then, and that was the animatic. And then when the animation came in, all that stuff changed. And then I made, so then I tried to figure out other ways to make it work. And me and Mike kind of worked on that together. And then, yeah. And since everybody in the Bruce Lee band was already, in the studio we just like did a different configuration and dan got on guitar and i got i got on bass and we tracked the bruce lee man song like that i see so you also had uh let's see you had brit from Catbite yeah sang a song on there yeah uh Br- brit had sang uh a show a song on the show before um oh. in bernard of the creek part two um called i ain't doing anything um and she just she just knocked it out of the park she's so good um she could really she sings really hard. She really like belts when you need it to be belted. There's no, like, I don't sometimes I will email people who are singing on the show. I'll be like, and sing hard and really go for it. And with Brit, I don't have to do that. Uh, and she always sounds amazing. And also, um, I, I known that I wanted the song to be in Spanish, uh, just because it was like breaking into this like anime sounding moment uh in the movie and in the music and i wanted it to and i i didn't want to just like do the trope you know uh and i thought it would be cool and i i thought it would be i thought it'd be rad uh and i i've done like like japanese language anime music kind of stuff on the show before and i just wanted to be different and i knew that britney is a great singer so i asked her and she was like hell yeah um, but my Spanish isn't great, but my mom is a Spanish teacher. Um, so a lot of the lyrics, uh, were translated by Brittany's mom, which is fun. That's rad. So you also had a uh, Pierce Jordan from uh, soul glow. Yeah. Song. Yeah. That was cool. Thanks for letting me do that, Ben. I, <laughs> I, uh, it, I, I met Pierce, uh, at adjacent festival. Um, I, th- I forget if that song was there. I think that song might've already been written for the movie. Um, yeah, it was, uh, but I, I had met him and I've always kind of, I've always, wa- I love soul glow. Like, I think they're a great band. 
Um, and we were talking before their set and he was talking, he was like, I didn't know you did the music for Craig of the Creek, but like, he just really likes the show. Um, I, I think his, I, I believe he's from Maryland and his dad was also a computer programmer or worked with computers, uh, something like that, uh, where there were a few connections and it, it really hit him in a real way. Um, and I was like, damn dude, I'm sad the show's ending because I really like, I, I would have loved to have you on the show doing something. Um, and then it just made, I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. You could, you could do this hardcore song. That's in the movie. Uh, that'd be good. Would you be into it? And he was into it. It was cool. Um, yeah, that's how Pierce became part of it. Uh, who else is there that's on there? So Matt Embry. Yeah. Our expandits. Yeah. What does Matt do? There's a guitar solo in, uh, on the soundtrack. It's called, uh, rumble in the Wishmaker, um and there is a guitar solo there that i had and it was it was kind of like matt appleton playing all the baritone sax on the record where like i had demoed it but and frowns with the accordion uh but i was like man i'm not great at like finger tapping or dive bombing no matter how much i try to be when i make music for this show uh and i just and i know matt just shreds so hard um and i asked him and he was into it uh but then also he uh did the dub of the final of like the end scroll like rap movie credits um he uh did it he made a dub of it that's on the movie soundtrack ben i don't know if you heard that by the way it's sick um but it's the thing that closes out the uh soundtrack um and he did that and that was like that and britney doing uh her vocals for like the verse uh of the flood uh, were things that were like happening while I was on this last tour when I was like really just like rounding out the soundtrack and trying to make it something that could kind of stand on its own. I uh, I was wondering about the dub song because his name's on the dub song and I was like, what did he do? I, I didn't know he actually made the dub song. He made like the end of it. So like I made the beat for the beginning of it. And then we're so yeah. And in the movie, I like kind of dubbed out the ending because we were sitting there during the final mix and was like, man, these end credits go on like 15 seconds longer than the song or like some amount of time that it was like, that's too much. Uh Oh, uh, and I, and I sat down at the computer and just kind of like extended it and dubbed it out a little bit. And then I sent, I believe the original to uh, Matt Embry and he, he had his own, he did his own spin on it and it, it turned out really cool. Um, I'm really, I'm really stoked he did it. I feel like it's a sick way to end it. And I also like it that uh, Link Wafranca, who who raps on that, uh, Mariah, who has rapped on the show a whole bunch, um, that they end the rap by just shouting out their own name. I think that's a funny way for the movie to end <laughs> and for the soundtrack to end is just them be like, Link Wafranca, yeah! It's just like, <laughs> cool. <laughs> so Laura Stevenson and Chris Farron, um they just provided like some backing vocals or did they do any leads? Yeah. There's some, there's some, uh, there's some like beach Boise harmonies in there. I mean, they're again, Laura and Chris and Elise who sings in there and Jake, um, everybody in there, but Steve, uh, from super violent and sidekicks, uh, like have sung on the show before. Like I've tried to get all my friends on the show in some capacity. Um, and so when it was time for like a five part beach boys harmony thing, I just hit all them up and asked them if they could sing a little thing and make a nice, nice texture for, uh, 
this very uh, poignant moment of the movie. So Ben, were you involved at all during the recording of the soundtrack? I, I just came up to watch. I came up for like a. So you did go. You were at the studio watching. Yeah, for for a couple of days. Yeah, it was it was incredible. Uh, I mean, like I was able to sit when we're. I was able to sit in the the back seat, unlike like you're saying, Jeff, and like just marvel at what was happening. It was just so unlike anything we've ever done for the show. And it's, I don't know. I didn't understand really how, um, like orchestras, like how these musicians like don't practice. They just like read it and go for it. Like, I feel like people don't understand that. And it's insane to watch. It's insane to watch. Wow. Yeah. That was incredible to see them like, all right, let me look, turn the page. Let's try it. (laughs) And then, (laughs) Oh my God. So Jeff, you, you are used to putting in a long day of work, whether it's your own music or whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. This was beyond even your normal long days, right? Um, when it got to the mix. Yeah. Um, but the recording days, they weren't like, they weren't super long. They were just really, really, they were more intense than anything ever because, you know, me and Jack, uh, we had not ever done this before. Um, and so it took us a little bit of time to catch up to like Noah calling out or like, okay, we're going from bar 1079. Give me two bars ready. Let's go. And we're like, Oh wait, that's in like a different session. It's split up between all these different sessions. And like, it was like, there was a lot of just like, we were going so fast. And then we, you know, uh, I, I was a little bit optimistic with how quickly we were going to be able to record all of this music. And so we were just going, going, going. And we have a list of like hundreds of cues, I guess, that we're just like trying to get nail all of them down. So the intensity was really high, uh, but also like, like we were watching an incredible thing happen. So it was just like there, I was, it was, it was a lot of feelings happening. Um, and then uh, the mixing, the final mix of the movie, which I went up to uh, to like get on uh, with Jack, um, was done in like three days. And those were like that was like Jack starts his day around eight. Um, I start my day around ten. Uh, we would get dinner around six, and then I would work until like one or two in the morning. Uh, and, uh, then we would, then we just did that for three days and, and that was, that was intense. I didn't love that. (laughs) Uh, but also like Craig is like that sometimes, man. Like sometimes there's an episode that's very intense and like, I have a very like tight schedule, uh, because I, I'm going on tour at some point and I got to get all these done. So like, there are definitely like days of Craig where like, I will send Ben and Matt the email with the episode, like two in the morning and just be like, Okay, uh, I'm so sorry, but I need notes tomorrow because, like, I'm getting in the van on Tuesday, kind of thing. Uh, so, like, length of days, no, but like the intensity and just like the pressure of like doing it good because I I convinced all these kind people to let me make a movie score with an orchestra, um, and because I did it all myself and I didn't really have help with orchestration or arranging or anything like that, like, uh. I just wanted it to be as good as what I was seeing on the screen. And I just didn't want to let anybody down. So there was pressure there as the clock was melting away. You're just like, God, I got to get this right. I got to get this right. You know, it's definitely the most intense recording situation I've ever been a part of. Well, according to the liner notes, there was a composer assistant 
Oh, Christine. Christine Mackey. Yeah. What'd she do? <laughs> it's her wife, by the way. I'm just if anyone doesn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> what about it? I mean, she she so I yeah, she's my wife, but also she tour manages our band and she was handling a lot of the logistics for the hell mode rollout while I was working on this movie. Uh and so at a certain point when uh things were falling through the cracks, um mostly with scheduling with budgeting, just making sure everybody's getting paid, making making sure everybody has somewhere to stay, making sure everybody's flying out the right day, like organizing like Namdi's flight, Jer's flights, um, making sure that like percussion deliver, like that the like chimes and, and big drums and big cymbals that we were renting to do on top of the Tyco stuff, making sure that got delivered, making sure it was paid for, just like all of these things are like these ideas that I had in my head uh just like actually making making it happen because that is a thing that happens with me a lot of the time is like i get ahead of myself and then once i'm in the weeds with work like i can't do anything um so christine really did a lot uh like it wouldn't have happened without that like a lot of that stuff would have fallen through the cracks um because i didn't have extra time to like do it um so yeah shout out christine shout out christine woo so at some point during, I think the mix, maybe I'm not sure, but didn't Dan Ozzy interview you for the guardian while you were just deep within the mixing process? He interviewed me while I was working on the second to last chunk of the movie, like getting it prepped, uh, which is just like really trying to dial in. I spent so much time trying to get the fake strings to sound good. So I could, communicate what it was supposed to sound like to the people who were notating it and to the orchestra. Um, and also uh, without getting too deep into a very boring story, I ha- I was just having the worst computer issues I've ever <laughs> had in my life at the worst time I possibly could have had them. And I was losing like, you know, generally two hours a day to my computer crashing, but sometimes four or five hours a day where it would just crash. I'd open it. I'd try and fix it. It'd crash. I'd open it, try and fix it, crash. I'd open it, try and fix it. Um, and like, eventually I would get there. It was like a hunt for corrupted files on my computer, uh, that somebody had messed up in trying to repair it. Um, and it was a real nightmare. Um, cause I also had to finish this movie and try and, and make it good. Um, so Dan, uh, wanted to interview me for hell mode. And when I told him that's what was happening, he was like, Oh, that'll be funny. I should come over and interview you then. <laughs> I was like, perfect. <laughs> I was like, all right, man, <laughs> like we're friends, you know? Uh, and I, I love a good bit and that seemed like a good bit. <laughs> so, Okay. This movie was not originally intended to be the final, you know, or, you know, the, this movie got greenlit before the show got canceled, right? Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so now, now we're kind of, you know, talking about, I guess, even the legacy of the show at this point, as this movie's coming out, the show is a kid's show, but there is a fair amount of adults who enjoy the show. Right. Yeah. Uh, ben, Matt once, uh, Matt and Ben told me it's an all ages show, uh, which I really, I, I think that kind of hits the nail on the head, like from a, uh forgive me if i'm if i'm speaking out of out of turn here ben but like uh-huh. as like a person who is watching these episodes once they're done like i understand that like cartoon networks target 
demographic for this show might be like eight to 12 or around then. But I think like the stuff that everybody's making, uh, they are making something for everybody. Uh, they're, they're making something that people our age can like laugh at the jokes and be stoked on the animation and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I was reading some articles, some, some people kind of talking about it and the, uh, the opinion was that some people who are adults really got something out of the show that was like almost like healing to their inner child, I guess, or kind of accessed their feelings as a kid. Maybe it was aspirational for what they would have liked to, to have experienced as a child, kind of addressing the emotions that they felt as kids themselves. So I'm curious about that and your intention, Ben. Uh, I mean, you know, um, the show, you know, we were, we all in the, everyone involved in the writing of it um, and in the show, like we try and channel all of our childhoods. And, you know, once we had, Matt and I had like spawned the idea for the show, but once we had the crew, we really drew upon them to like bring their stories to the show. And so a lot of people brought their own perspectives mm -hmm. and like experiences in episodes that, um, just like you know we found that people yeah connected to when they watched it um yeah we we kind of the creek was like a place where craig could run into any number of kids and so we would kind of uh think about childhood experiences and stories we wanted to we wished we could have seen or you know that we would want to see on screen and you know write those characters and yeah it was just a lot of uh, kind of i don't know a lot of expression from everyone on the crew and everyone on the crew is really good too like you, like you, like you have amazing people working on this show too so i i feel like when when those stories come through they were just uh, again just like as someone watching it it was just like it was it was so real and it looked beautiful and you could tell it's just like coming from a real place and i think that's the kind of thing that like can resonate with anybody no matter what age you are you know the truth yeah and i think once you're kind of when you're in this position you're uh we're just making we're making shows that we think we would have liked like episodes we think we would have liked stories we would have liked as kids but also we're making what we want to see be on television and um things that entertain us as the people creating the show um you know, keeping in mind, we want to like, don't want to lose our, you know, um, like kids and anything. We want it to be all relatable to them. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just, we kind of, we kind of make it in this weird just bubble of, <laughs> of like, what would we like to do? And it, we've been lucky enough to do that for five seasons. Now, I guess uh, it's probably the last question here. Um, what was it like making the movie with the knowledge that this was sort of it for the show it was i mean i was thankful that i was one thankful the movie didn't go away because when they started canceling stuff like when discovery um merged with warner media and um all this these cancellations and layoffs and stuff happened um there was like other original movies that were getting cut like mid-production so we were just like, you know, I was so thankful that we didn't get cut, but it was great that we had this movie that it wasn't just like we were stopping midstream that we kind of 
had done this big arc of episodes called The Heart of the Forest. And then we had this big prequel story of how it all began that we could kind of go out with. Like, and it was, I think that's everyone put even, I feel like everyone, at least I did, like put a lot into it because this was like our, uh, one of our last big statements. Um, so it's, it's kind of fortunate that we were able to do this movie and, and that we can like, this is like a big, a big fireworks ending, you know, for the show. There is like, there's more episodes that come after this. Um, but this is definitely like a big statement that I'm thankful to have. Yeah. It was very odd starting the movie after knowing it was canceled, but it took kind of the same thing Ben was saying. It was just like, all right, well, you know, this, this is your, this is your last chance to like make a, make a big thing. Uh, I was just so glad that they didn't, I was, I was so glad the movie came out uh, because animation is so wild right now. You really don't know what's going to happen. You know, Uh, like that Roadrunner movie, like they, it was done. And then they were like, it's not happening. Then they're like, it's happening. So like, until it was like actually on something, I was, I was just nervous. I was like, what's, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? You know? Um, And I don't know. I'm just happy. I got to happy to have done it. And it really like, and to be able to do it in this, in what I hope is a real movie score way, or at least my, my best interpretation of a real movie score way. You know, do you think uh, some of the decisions you make and made in scoring it were motivated by it being the final opportunity or just the fact that it was a movie was going to always make you try to go as big as possible? Honestly, just the fact that it was a movie. But I think that uh, I think that I think that it was the final thing in that, like, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that I get the chance to do this again. I kind of approach everything I do like that. But like. Knowing it was a final thing just made me really push through moments that were frustrating throughout, whether it was like computer crashes or like things falling through that were not supposed to fall through. Um, I was just like, gotta, gotta do it. I don't know though. I don't know that it being the last thing had anything to do with that. I just wanted to make it good because I saw what I was getting. Like yeah. I saw the movie. I was like, oh God, I gotta, that's how I always feel like working on the show. I'm always just like, I gotta, I need to do something that can even come close to what they are doing story-wise, acting-wise, art-wise. Like, I, I need to go all in. Thank you for listening to In Defense of Ska. To support the show, sign up for our Patreon. Intro and outro music by Slow Gherkin from the EP Lives. Additional music by Dan P. and the Bricks. Please rate and review the podcast and tell a friend. Follow at In Defense of Ska on social media. The book In Defense of Ska by Aaron Carnes is available from Clash Books. Order it online. Chris Reeves of SPI is our editor. This is your co-host, Adam Davis of Omnigon, leaving you by saying Ska now more than ever. Craig of the Creek, whoa! Craig of the Creek. Do you not know the lyrics to the song that you watch with your kids every week? Listen, Aaron, I'm usually washing dishes or folding laundry. Also, I just jumped in on it and I didn't. I got scared. So, mm. yeah. Can you sing the outro, the the sad outro? <laughs> I don't know the sad. Oh, outro. Okay. Netflix, uh, whatever they stream it on, switches to the next episode. Oh. 
And then there's like that with the guitar and it like the episode starts. So we uh, had a little bonus chat with Jeff and Ben, didn't we? Sure did. And guess where you can catch that? Where? Over on our Patreon. Ooh, and you know what was interesting? During the episode, you had some pre-recorded questions from your child. Yeah. Guess who came on live? My kid. He wandered down here into the studio. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy things happen when you live with uh, little guys. Yeah, little guys. So anyways, $5 Patreon. You know the drill. You've. I'm, this is the week you're going to do it. I, I know you're going to do it this week. You've been waiting. Well, this is your week to do it. And if you're already doing it, guess what? You don't even hear us saying any of this right now. Over on Patreon, you get to just hear the version where it goes straight to the second conversation. So join us next week. We have a guest that is incredible, and I will not tell you their name. Sorry.